I saw thousands of people come through my office filing for different types of benefits. It didn't matter how much money they had. They all had the same belief. Will there be enough? It's like, why do they think there's not enough? Like they have all this money. And I realized they weren't paying attention to the money that they did have. And it didn't matter if they received $1,000 or $10,000. They didn't know how to manage $1,000. They weren't going to know how to manage $10,000. Hello, and welcome to the Connectedness Podcast. Just as you might have guessed, I talk about connection and connectedness on this podcast, our connection with everything in the world around us. Whether you see it or not, we're all connected, and it doesn't matter if it's our dog, our cat, our god, our body, and I'll also talk about some more abstract connections like our career or our land, our community, our emotions, your body. Life is all about connection, so the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we can have an easier, more meaningful life. I will talk about these connections through different lenses, things like synchronicities and coincidences or just everyday little bits of magic and miracles that we we usually dismiss. It's really important that we pay attention to all of this so we can live an easier, more meaningful life. So welcome to the show. I'm your host, Karen Cleveland. Welcome back, everyone. I am really excited to introduce my guest today, talking about connection and money and all things that relate to that. So Lisa Drennan is the founder of I Date Money. She is a wealth activator who has been in the finance and insurance industry since 1987. From self-sabotage to sovereignty, she rewrote her money story, paid off her $100,000 of debt in six months by implementing her money multiplier system, which is the same strategy that enabled her to retire two and a half years early and move to her dream home at the beach as a millionaire. She is now on a mission to help one million women become millionaires without sacrificing their self-sovereignty by falling head over heels in love with money. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Great. So there's so many questions that your full bio just brings up by itself. But why don't you just start briefly with your background in money and have you always been head over heels in love with money? No, no. Money and I have had our share of breakups and fights and estrangement and silent treatment and all the things that you can have in a relationship. I was born into a very wealthy family. My parents were entrepreneurs and we lived in a big old house. I had three older brothers and then my parents got divorced and my mom lost everything as entrepreneurs. My mom was a cosmetologist. My dad was a barber and they had a business together. So when they split, my mom had to start all over with us four kids. And we went to Rags and we moved to California and she wasn't really doing too well there. So we ended up moving back after a few years. And she came from a very wealthy family. Her dad was a cobbler. So he was an entrepreneur and set the intention of, you know, like, being really good with money. Like you'll always have money if you take care of money, if you invest it, save it and do all the good things and always make sure your bills are being paid. And somehow that got lost along the line with my mom. When she got remarried, there was a different type of mindset. And my dad stayed as an entrepreneur. He added multiple income streams. But, you know, there's, I have seven different money personalities that I showcase on my website. And one of them is Gary the Gambler. And Gambler, you know, take so many risks. And the entrepreneurs, 
that my dad portrayed was this risk taker who was always trying to make the quick buck and do all the things and kind of take shortcuts. And that's what I focused on. So I grew up believing that entrepreneurs were no good. They were always trying to steal from you. And therefore, like, we're not going to be like them. So I got a nine to five job and, and had a wonderful career at the Social Security Administration for 30 years. And I, you know, I started off as a paralegal. And my mom and my grandma always taught me to save money. I had a piggy bank with two slots. One slot was for savings. 10% went into savings and 10% went into giving. So when we go to church, you'd give 10%. And I always did that with my money. When I started working as a bankruptcy paralegal, I saw all these people who had tons of money who couldn't manage it. And my job was to create budgets for them after they filed to make sure that they could stay on task. And it, you know, it was an okay job, but I thought to myself, why are they even going bankrupt? Well, I became a single mom and I was working two jobs to make ends meet. And the second employer I had had actually stolen from me, had actually forged my name on a loan and defaulted. So here I was with $32,000 worth of debt. And I was like, I can't pay this. And so I filed for bankruptcy. And I remember standing in front of the judge and the judge is like, you're so young. And I, I was pro bono. I represented myself because I was a paralegal. And I remember the judge saying to me, you know, I really want you to go get some financial help. You're too young to be in this position. You know, and I said, well, like I explained what happened. He's like, you need to protect yourself. So when I got hired at the Social Security Administration, I was like, okay, I have a steady income. I, I have all these opportunities. I'm going to just make my money multiply. So I started saving all my money and I grew up with the idiom that was, Lisa, money burns a hole in your pocket. You're not a very good saver. And my grandma taught me the money envelope system. And so I got into this, you know, habit of putting money into envelopes and then like budgeting my money and being very restrictive and feeling deprived. So I started working social security, my first client, doing his retirement claim. He hey, great advice. Thank you so much for helping me. Can I give you some? Absolutely. Read the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. And I said, okay, I'll read it. I read it and I really loved the principle behind it. And I purchased a copy. I read it every quarter and I've implemented the system. It's part of how my money multiplier system was started. But what I liked about it was, you know, your gold has children and that has children. And you think about the system of earning interest and investing wisely and going to the right people to invest. So as I learned how to do this, and as I saw thousands of people come through my office filing for different types of benefits, it didn't matter how much money they had. They all had the same belief. Will there be enough? It's like, why do they think there's not enough? Like they have all this money. And I realized they weren't paying attention to the money that they did have. And it didn't matter if they received $1,000 or $10,000. They didn't know how to manage $1,000. They weren't going to know how to manage 10000 So I started this concept of dating money. I was like, you know what? I'm going to see money as a relationship, and I'm going to see if my money will have children. So I got really into investing and making money moves and keeping track of it. But I was taking it away from myself because money burns a hole in my pocket. And I told myself, I'm not good at saving, so I'm just going to take it away. So I created these money buckets, took my money envelopes, opened up bank accounts for each one. And I invested, you know, maxed out my 401k, did the Roth IRA, did all the things. And then I wouldn't pay attention to money because that's for my future. I'm not going to, you know, we'll, we'll come talk when I'm 62. Wrong attitude, right? 
And meanwhile, my husband's like, you got to pay attention to your money. You got to sit down with money every single day. He was tracking our investments. Like, look at how much our money has grown. And I'd be like, eh, who cares? And I would tell money, go take a hike because you're something for the future. I don't need you now. So every time I got paid, I would look at money and be like, well, this isn't enough. Not realizing because I wasn't keeping you know, track of it. I wasn't paying attention that I was building this wealth and I had all my bills paid for. Everything was covered. And what I was getting in my paycheck was what I could spend on myself, but I didn't deserve to have money. So I would complain and tell money like, this is ridiculous. I'm working all this time. And where are you? Why aren't you showing up for me? Right. Wow. So that's interesting that so many of us are told to get a nine to five and that's not how we build wealth. But you came from entrepreneurs and got the nine to five and was able to build some wealth. So what happened along the way that you find yourself, you know, as you said, $100,000 in debt? And then how do you work to get out of that? Well, what happened was after I was debt free, after being bankrupt, I always had this drive to take on as much as I could. I liked to work and to help others. So as I was working full time, I was also doing a side gig. I was an independent Avon rep. So I used to go door to door and sell Avon. And I had a great clientele. I did it for 20 years. And from there, I got into doing Young Living Essential Oils. And I became a certified aromatherapy practitioner. I absolutely fell in love with how the power of scent with thoughts changed our thought process. And we could rewire our subconscious. So I got into creating an online business where I was helping ladies with different things that they were dealing with different emotions and things. And I was like, oh, and someone said, you can make a business out of this. And I was like, okay, show me how. So I got into the world of online coaching. From there, I wrote a book and invested all of this money into these programs, You know, did video editing, hired several different coaches. And I knew I became a certified financial coach. And I knew that I wanted to teach finances, but because I had debt, I didn't know how much I had at the time I became certified. I felt like an imposter. So I was like, okay, let me coach. And when I took my certification, it was, okay, when you sit down with your client, you go over their budget, you look at their income, you either tell them to go get four jobs or you tell them to cut out the Starbucks. And I'm like, that sounds restrictive. I don't like that. And there were so many different systems that we can put into place. And I was like, well, what's a system that works that's not so restrictive and it still makes it fun with finances? Because everyone that I was talking to hated to talk about money. Widows would come in. They'd sit across from me crying. They had no idea what a checkbook was. They didn't know how to balance their checkbook. But of course, I was hiding. So I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do, I, you know, I started off as a health coach. Then I went into client attraction. Then I was coaching women post-abortion. And then I was just like, I'm not doing any of it. Forget it. So when I realized that I had this blockage and I kept changing my niche, I was like, where is this coming from? So one of my challenges in my coaching container was to do a I hate debt worksheet. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. But I did. I did the I hate debt worksheet and I listed all of my debt and I was petrified to add it up. I'm like, "Um, I'm just looking at the balances and I could do math in my head and I don't even want to know what the number is. So I pushed it aside and I was like, I need help. There's something missing. Why do I have this much debt? And I had everything on auto pay. I didn't have a budget system. So I started reaching out to other coaches and knowing that I needed help, but not quite sure. And I couldn't hire anyone because I was ashamed. I didn't want them to, you know, I'm a financial coach. I, shouldn't, I know the numbers. 
So I realized it was mindset and that I knew that something was up. So I hired this coach that used art to help me break through. And then I realized that I had all this debt. And then she had me draw out my assets using paint. And then we did my net worth. And we did the debt in a way like, how has debt helped you? What did you spend your money on? And when I saw that I used it all for education, coaching certification programs, travel, things for my kids, like good stuff, I was like, oh, it's not like I blew it and I was irresponsible. And then when I saw all the money I had in my assets, I was like, whoa, I had over $2 million. I'm like, oh, I did that. Like I was able to invest and and to wisely use like all my income. I just put right back into investments. So I had all these, you know, I had my full-time job. I was a treasurer for three different entities. So I had money coming in that way. Plus I had my side gig. And I was like, this is amazing. Like I had no idea how much money I actually had because I wasn't paying attention. It was all automatic. It didn't matter to me. And so when I realized it and I saw the numbers, it clicked. I cashed out some of my investments. I took some of my money from my multiple income streams and I paid down the debt within a six-month period. And I was just like, I'll leverage debt now. So like, I like to use debt to help build my assets to get that interest going. And it's almost like playing a game. One of my clients calls it going on a scavenger hunt. Like, How much money can we earn by leveraging this 0% credit card, you know, and paying for this this way. And like we run the numbers. It's like, yeah, I'm going to leverage this debt. Yeah, that's smart. I've recently become aware of people that do travel hacking with credit card points for travel and miles. And they're amazing. And of course, they pay them all off. They don't rack up debt because of it. But there's a real strategy. So Would you say your strategy with your clients, is it practical, like physically you need to do this and this, or is it more spiritual, emotional, mindset? What kind of work is it that you're doing with your clients? It's a combination. So it's threefold. The money multiplier system, it's a 10-10-10 plan, and it's money multiplier, money management, and money mindset. So it starts off with, don't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter. It's what you do with it. So every single time you receive money, there's six steps that we follow. One is celebrating giving thanks, right? And like, wow, this is so cool. Thank you, money. Like, you are my best friend. I have my clients name their money partner. My money partner's name is Mill. We sit down once a week. 10% goes into savings. You know, we invest in ourselves. We, we put it in a high interest bearing account. 10% goes for giving, creating that reciprocal energy of giving and receiving. And 10% goes to fund money. Because if you're not enjoying the money that you earn, you're always going to feel deprived. And most people carry debt, not because they don't know how to manage their money. It's because they're filling this void. And once you put in the money management system and you recognize every week you sit down with money and you look at your portfolio and you're like, wow, okay, this is cool. It changes your perspective. It changes your mindset. I incorporate aromatherapy to change the mindset when we captivate our thoughts and we really think about what we believe and why we believe it and that feeling that it creates. Using the power of scent with the breath work accelerates that process so that we can really get into our subconscious and, and rewrite that money story. Because most of our money stories come from childhood and what we grew up with. And if we could just think about like some of the things we do automatically because we're conditioned we can change that trajectory of how we're relating to money and how we're nurturing that relationship and how we're being a blessing to others so that 
we can create generational wealth. We can build this beautiful legacy and support our favorite charities or whatever it is we want to end up doing. Right. Good point. So you mentioned the aromatherapy a couple of times, and I'm curious, can you explain that a little further? I mean, I assume money doesn't smell like anything, or do we have an attachment to what it smells like to be in the flow of good money management? How does that work? Yeah. So when we think about money, there's always the earliest childhood memory. So if I say to you, imagine money as a person and you meet money for the very first time, you hold money. What does that feel like? What does it smell like? If you could taste money, what would it taste like? And most kids put everything in their mouth. So when they first got money, they may have tasted it just out of curiosity. And, you know, quarters are metally and coppery. And our parents would have said, get that out of your mouth. That's filthy. You don't know where that's been. Right. But things like money comes from trees. It's paper. And if you think about trees and their grounding scent, like when you hold money, it's a different feeling than holding a plastic credit card. So it just gives you this sense of, wow, I have this money. I have this sense of security, this sense of I get to do something with this. And some people think, well, money just filters through my fingers. So it's really quick. So they never really get to see how they relate to it because they're so quick to spend it because they don't have the ability to hang on to it because they don't know what to do with it. We use the power of aromatherapy. What happens is I use Young Living Essential Oils and there's this blend called the Memory Release Blend. It's frankincense, lavender, and stress away. And it's a very powerful combination of earth scents that ground you, that just hit the olfactory system into your amygdala to create emotions. When we focus on using aromatherapy, we're going back to childhood memories. And I'll tell my clients, okay, what's your relationship with money like now? And how do you feel around money? And when you receive money, what's your first thought to do with it? All of my clients are entrepreneurs and all of them take all of their money and either pour it back into their business or apply it all to debt. Why do they do that? Who told them to manage money that way? So when they think about the earliest childhood memory, a lot of them will be like, well, when I first earned money, my mom told me I had to save it all and I got rebellious and I didn't want to save it all. So I spent it all. Okay. So let's talk about that. How does that make you feel? And then going back to how they would rather feel, tapping into, okay, this is what I believe. This is what I want to do. This is my new thought. When was the last time you felt that way? And let's start working on that. So it's reprogramming that thought process, changing that habit to give it a new habit. And when you add the oil, we do a certain breath pattern. So breathing in the oil, connecting it with the thought and the emotion and the feelings, where in your body you feel it that helps to accelerate that process so that we can get a faster reaction to change that thought process. And then we can create a statement that says, okay, this is the habit that I've been doing. This is the habit that I choose to do. I'm going to replace it and therefore rewire my pattern so I can have a different result. That's fantastic. I guess it never even occurred to me to look at the sense of smell as far as tying it to mindset, I guess, and what's next. So. What do you wish everyone would stop doing about money right now? What's the worst habits or the worst practices that you see out there? Oh, it's the common one, regardless of how much money people have, whether the poorest or poor, the richest to rich, they all do the same thing. They ignore money. So they receive money and they don't have a plan for it. You know, some people refer to it as a budget and that's very restrictive. 
it's a money management system. Like if you took every single dollar that you have that you received and you applied the money multiplier system, it goes back to the richest man in Babylon, you'll always have money and more money will come your way. And it's as simple as just saving 10% of your income and setting it aside, which is the principal and richest man in Babylon. You know, every time you get paid, 10% goes into savings. And it's a proven strategy that's been around and it's so simple. No one does it. It's true. No one does it, do they? I mean, very few. Yeah. The, the percentages of millionaires in just the United States are very low compared to how much. I mean, I know several six to seven figure business owners who do not have a dime to their name. Mm-hmm. I also know a lot of entrepreneurs and I mean, I think you're right. They haven't learned how to manage the business finances so that it supports them instead of pouring all the money back into the business or paying the debt. They're not even paying themselves sometimes. Right. Yeah, I find that to be true. My clients, we have a separate, we keep our business expenses separate from our personal. And I'm always, you know, like the first rule of thumb is pay yourself first. You know, so we have a formula for the business that transfers over to the personal expenses and and keeping it separate because, you know, you have to for several reasons. So you do both business and personal money. You call it money coaching or what do you call it? Wealth activation. Yeah, wealth activation. Right. Okay. And then I saw on your website something about speed dating money. What is that about? <laughs> it's so much fun. It's the money dating game. If you remember the dating game from the 70s, it's modeled after that. So in my years of working with different people, I found that there's seven personalities that we all have. And when you think about dating money, you know, we all have our own personality traits and there's always a dominating personality, right? So there's seven different money personalities, probably the top three that we have, but we always want to partner. Like, you know, if you think about your mate, they're always opposite of us, right? We want to partner with that opposite. So who do you want to partner with? So there's a wonderful money meditation that kind of clears your thoughts, it sets you up for wealth activation, gets you in the right mindset to think about dating money, personifying money, having that personal relationship with money. So after you go through the meditation, you get introduced to the seven different money personalities. There's a little video that talks about each one. You know, they all have the good and the bad and the ugly, but they're all very good. Like Gary the Gambler is fantastic, but so many people think he's this bad dude who will take all of your money. But entrepreneurs are very much like Gary the Gambler because every single time you wake up and you're doing your job as an entrepreneur, you're taking a risk and it's huge. It's a huge risk that you're taking and you're putting a lot of faith and trust in yourself to be your own CEO. Absolutely. And that's just, people can do that anytime. They just sign up on your website for that. Yep. They can, and they need to show some ID. So basically, you know, tap in their email address and they'll go through the experience and you can go through it as many times as you want to. Show some ID. Yeah. (laughs) Got to get into the club. Yeah. So is there a practice going on, you know, not how you work, but in the finance industry in general, are there practices that you wish they would stop doing and or, or start doing in order to help people that would actually help people? Or is the industry okay? And it's just that people aren't following advice. I think it's a combination. I, when I was being certified as a financial coach, you know, it was always very restrictive with budgeting, like cut this cost and penny pinch here. And, you know, when you start taking things away from people, people get rebellious. And I think there's a good balance in anything that we do. 
And one of the reasons why I love the concept that's taught in The Richest Man in Babylon is it gives you that sense of freedom. I introduced the fun money when I was certified as a financial coach. It was through a program called The Green Gap. And The Green Gap incorporated 10% fun money. And when I first heard about fun money, I was like, what are you, crazy? I'm not spending 10% of my income on fun. But when we think about how we spend our money, most of it does go for entertainment. We eat out a lot. We go to the movies. We're socializing. And that's considered your fun money. And what happens is people just take a lot of their money and spend it that way, not realizing. And then they'll get together with a financial coach and they'll say, okay, well, you can't go out to eat every week. You can't do this. You can't do that. Whereas if they just had that allocation for 10% fun money, and then what does that fun money include? And maybe they have a category for going out to eat. But really creating a wealth activation roadmap that's congruent with what their lifestyle is versus me saying, here's the template, you know, do this. I mean, I followed a lot of the financial gurus. Dave Ramsey is one of my favorites. Susie Orsman is another. But there's a book, The Secrets of the Millionaire, and he has a 50-10-10-10-10 plan where like you know, 50% goes basically for your four walls and then the other 50% goes for education, savings, travel, and things like that. You know, And then there's like money jars that you can do with your loose change and little challenges. And there's you know the minimalist idea of give away 29 things every day for a whole month of your house and see how it makes you feel. Because when you declutter your space, you declutter your mind and you're able to expand your money portfolio. Because a lot of times people will spend money on stuff. Like I had a client who would buy purses and never even carried a purse. Why? Because it was a rebellious thing, right? Because when you're told no and you're restricted, you're going to do the opposite. So I would really love just to see the industry get rid of the budgets and just say, <laughs> you know, let's let's look at this and see where your money is going. And if you apply these percentages, and they're not for all categories because there are fixed expenses, you're just going to pay the dollar amount. When you start to earn and receive more money, you're not going to use a percentage to increase your four walls, right? You're going to keep the same, but maybe you're going to increase your travel or your investments, or you're going to support small businesses or do something like that. So just really having something that's not a cookie cutter type of thing, but yeah. something that really says invest in yourself and use your money to multiply it strategically. I tell people all the time, divorce your bank account because the 0.05% that you're earning is not serving you in your savings account. Go find a savings account that's paying at least 3% and watch your money so much faster. Yeah, small things like that. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. First of all, how do you work with people? Is it one-on-one? Do you do classes? Do you have a membership? What's your favorite way to work with people? I have an evergreen program, so people can come in when they'd like. It's a weekly group coaching call, and we meet once a week, and then there's access to Telegram. It's a six-month container. I also have a monthly membership, Crush on Debt. It's strictly to learn how to pay down your debt. There's seven simple action steps, and they can cancel whenever they want to. If they join the signature program, they get the Crush on Debt for free. And then sometimes I offer one-offs. I do it as a special like pop-up thing if I see something that's really pressing. Like I did one around income tax time because I knew people were beginning a lot of money. And I was like, okay, let's have a pop-up and show you how you could, you know, so I ha- actually have a wealth activation session where I show them how to realign their finances 
so that they the money that they do have, they can work with it and multiply it and see that they have enough money. Because a lot of people will think, I don't have enough money to do all things. Yeah, you do. You just aren't paying attention to it. And, you know, if they need help paying down the debt, that's one of my specialties because I have so much experience with that. <laughs> right. And for the listeners, you know, is there something you think they could start doing today just to help them in the future? What would that be? Take all the income that you receive, don't matter where it comes from. Take 10% and save it in a savings account for yourself. Build up, if you don't have an emergency fund, build up six to seven months worth of expenses, your needs. So in case something happens, you you can't work for some reason, you have that cushion. And it's going to really give you that peace, that sense of security. And, you know, implement the money multiplier system, give 10%, find your favorite charity, give to church, wherever, you know, you want to, and then set aside 10% for fun money. Just by doing that consistently, it's going to help you with that mindset of, I have enough, I'm creating the security. I don't have to worry about my future. I'm enjoying my money and I'm supporting others. I'm giving my money away. And if you have debt, take 20% towards debt to pay down that debt. And then, you know, the rest of it, you have to look at. You can hop on a free call with me. I'll help you with that. So is the strategy with debt to pay off the highest interest first, the largest amount first, or the smallest amount first? What's the strategy there? Both work really well. Your um, The snowball is, you know, the lowest amount to the highest. And the avalanche is the highest interest to the lowest interest. Right. It just depends on, you know, where someone's at. I've used both of them successfully. The snowball gives you a sense of gratifications quicker because you pay those cards off. But there's also that thing of regardless of what system you use, if you don't know the, the reason behind the debt, you end up creating more debt. So you get into that cycle. Like a lot of people will come to me like, well, I've been debt free before. I can do this on my own. Okay. So why do you have more debt? Right. And it's because there's something else that's creating this debt. And it's not because they don't have the money. They're afraid to spend the money. And I personally went through this. We just bought a new car and, you know, I'm retired. Right. And, you know, cars are expensive. And it's like, do I really want to spend my money that way? I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to do that because it's a car. And we have this thing about cars, about depreciating their value. But since COVID hit, used cars cost a lot of money. And I was like shocked. So it took me like three weeks to say, okay, I'm ready to buy a new car. Because in my mind, I was going to wait till September. I was going to, you know, set aside so much money per month to do it. But my husband's like, no, 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 I want a new car now. And I'm like, what's the hurry? So it took me like three weeks to say, okay, this is a good time to to invest in a car. And then it was such a hassle to buy a new car because of all the things that are going on. And I thought, well, all right, whatever. It'll, it'll, it'll happen. It'll happen. No worries. So there's this sense of, should I invest in this? Is it now or is it later? And a lot of times, especially when we're hiring coaches, we're, we're trying to figure out what we need. We buy the wrong thing because we don't gather the facts. We don't look at the stuff. And then when we look at our money, you think about how much time it took you to build up that money, whatever investment you have. And then you want me to spend it all at once, but it's a different type of investment. And when we can see that as a different type of investment, it changes the perspective. And then we're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. And quality of life is important too. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been very fascinating and enlightening because uh, the 10, 10, 10, I love that. It's, it's never occurred to me. And 
having an amount to spend on fun, I think that's, it gives you permission to have fun and not feel guilty about it and hate the money while you're spending it trying to please yourself. So good ideas. Thank you for being on the show. And to my listeners, I hope we will connect again soon. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to head over to RevKarenPodcast.com. That's R-E-V-K-A-R-E-N Podcast.com. There you're going to find the tools for finding more meaning and happiness in your own life. Plus, if you have a story that you want to share with me, either on or off the air, be sure to look for that form. Make sure you follow me so you get notified when new episodes drop. And also, I'd love to connect with you in my Facebook group, Connectedness with Rev Karen. So head over to RevKarenPodcast.com. I hope to see you there.